Hi, I'm Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy, bringing you another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. Today's guest is Brian Wirtz, Marine Corps veteran turned entrepreneur. Come check it out. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy. Today we have a Marine Corps veteran, Brian Wirtz, with us today, and uh, he's actually an entrepreneur and really excited to hear a little bit about his story. So, Brian, thanks so much for coming. It was short notice, um, but thanks so much for stopping by and, and helping us out here. Absolutely. Uh, really gra- uh, really uh, grateful for the invitation and glad to be here. Thanks, cool. Jason. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your Marine Corps experience. How long were you in and you know what was, what was your motivation? What did you do in the Marine Corps? At- Absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Iowa, uh, grew up in kind of, uh, you know, a smaller, uh, smaller community and really was kind of trying to look for something, um, a, a way to have some, uh, unique experiences, kind of travel around the world. And I'd already, I'd always had this fairly patriotic feeling, um, had a couple of family members that had served and, and really just wanted to, uh, to, to be a part of that myself. Um, looking at my options, um, there was something about the Marines that always kind of intrigued me about being the best, love the uniforms. And, um, so I, um, I ended up, uh, enlisting in the Marine reserves while going through an officer candidate program, uh, while I was going through college. So I did four years in the reserves and was, uh, commissioned, um, through, uh, the platoon leaders class, pro- uh, program. And once I, um, once I came on active duty, I did uh, 19 years active duty as an infantry officer. Um, during that time, I also did uh, two, two tours on recruiting duty, oh, wow. which included, you know, kind of direct recruiting of officer candidates myself. And uh, the second time around, I was doing recruiting management of the uh, officer candidate selection process. So that was kind of a unique experience. And then one of the probably, um, you know, very rewarding and very challenging things I did was I spent three years working on a, an organization called Jiedo. Uh It was the Joint IED Defeat Organization, and that was okay. at the height of kind of the uh, the IED threat in Afghanistan. So I had a chance to collect some lessons learned and uh, you know share some share some content that um, you know kind of circled back and helped uh, influence the training pipeline and. Definitely a, a a tough thing to be a part of, but at the same time very rewarding because you felt like what you were doing was getting back out and helping people that were going to be going back over after the groups that were over there yeah. at the time. Oh, that's really cool. Well, you're right. The Marine Corps does have the best uniforms. Um, <laughs> I hate to say it, but um, much better than the Air Force or the Army uniforms, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> well, that's that's a lot. I mean, in 19 years, uh, especially being in infantry, you probably saw a lot and got to go to a lot of different places. Um, obviously Afghanistan was a place that you've been, um, were you on some other deployments in the middle East as well? Yes. So I did, um, the, when I went to Afghanistan, that was, that was, um, just a three month kind of lessons learned collection thing, which I had kind of this really unique experience with that, that probably not a lot, not a lot of others had that sort of experience, but I had two more kind of traditional deployments to Iraq, one as part of an infantry battalion in which I was uh, an assistant operations officer, and then um, a second one where I was a uh, an advisor to the Iraqi army. So did that. That one was a, a year in Iraq. But you know, kind of um, one of the things for for a while that wasn't happening while we were fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan was kind of the traditional 
um, deployments with the Navy. So I, I actually did have a chance to do a six-month um, deployment to the Mediterranean. Um, oh, cool. Visited a lot of ports, did a lot of uh, cool stuff kind of in the in the late 90s. Um, so during that time, we did both, uh, you know, um, real world real world operations in Albania, as well as a lot of training exercises, and got a bunch of uh, port visits. So that was kind of a pretty cool experience. And you know, it kind of backtracking to the very beginning, my first uh, experience, and I was just talking about this before the show, is I actually had a chance to do three months in Panama in the uh, in in ninety. I think it was ninety seven. Yeah, that seems right. Before, while while we still had bases down there, and that was, uh, you know, I was a brand new lieutenant, kind of a fun and um, exciting time to get, you know, a bunch of good training in in the jungles of Panama, while also having a little bit of fun on, you know, being down there as part of a small unit, and yeah, uh, it was a, it was a good time. Now you've been to some of the places that are on my my wish list for vacation destinations. Um, so tell me about the Mediterranean a little bit. What was one of your favorite stops there? Oh wow! This it, it's taken me back, but um, we we had a port call in Rhodes, Greece, which was you know pretty cool. Just for I mean, it was almost like you know uh, the you know the spring ba- spring break capital of Europe, but um, it also like I like I like doing the tours and seeing some of the ruins, and you know we had a chance to kind of visit some of uh, a bunch of different sites around the the island there. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but they, the, you know, we also did some, uh, you know, tra- training exchanges um, with the Ukrainian military and the Romanian uh, military, and you know, so wow. so there were there were both, you know, fun ports of call as well as good training um, during that time, and it was, you know, just kind of a, it, it was it was fun um, at that early stage in my career to be doing kind of exactly what I had come in to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many people join the military. And probably more the the Navy or the Marine Corps to see the world, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you're on the ocean, you get to go all these different cool places around the world. Probably not everyone gets the the fortune to go like to the Mediterranean and <laughs> Panama like you did. Um, but I think everyone's got a chance to go to at least somewhere fun um, throughout their career. Um, <clears throat> so, as as an infantry officer, obviously, you know you're you're leading um, a, a large group and. Um, and you got to spend some time, obviously, kind of in conflict. Tell me, um, or, or tell our, our listeners, um, kind of what you were going through, kind of in, in like your your leadership um, role there, and and maybe um, some things that you always kind of held close to help kind of keep everything going and, and moving in the right direction. Absolutely, the you know it, the Marine Corps and the military in general, I think, is kind of unique for the leadership academy it provides um virtually all of its members from the day we join um you're you're only a follower for a very short period of time and then you know whether you're you know just uh coming in as a as a junior uh marine or you've been in for for years there's always kind of a a place that you fit in the group and there's always someone in charge and and you know even if you got three marines of the same rank somebody's gonna gonna take charge and and kind of move things forward and I love that. That was, I'd say more than any other thing, that was what kept me in the Marines for as long as I stayed was the opportunity to lead and grow teams. Um, I don't consider myself um, a natural leader as much as somebody that took um, on board the things that were taught to me. And every time I made mistakes, which was much more frequently than I'd like to admit, but (laughs) I also learned from them. So, 
you know, it kind of wipe the, wipe the egg off my face sometimes or, or, you know, not always. Sometimes it's just like, man, I didn't kind of go the way I wanted to. I can be better. And I try to put those things to use going forward. So that, it, that laboratory to be able to lead literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Marines over the, my career, both direct leadership, indirect through, you know, kind of higher echelons of command was, was truly a privilege. And it's something that I just, I just tried to like, you know, okay, what went, what I it was, it was a lot of self-analysis, but the thing that, you know, I, made it so rewarding is when you saw the impact of things that you've shared with other people or decisions that you made that, you know, supported the growth of others or the success of the unit, you just saw it, it made you know that what you're doing really is worthwhile. And that, that was kind of the reward for the long hours, the hard work, and, and, and sometimes the, you know, the lessons learned that you wish you didn't have to, you know, have to admit to, but they're, they're there too. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think always there's that, um, that sense of accomplishment to just helping the others, you know, achieve, mm-hmm. right. Whatever it is, whether it's, you know, the, the next position or the next rank or just that next level of success, right. Um, is so, always, always so fulfilling and, and rewarding. Um, so, um, you had to have had some, some pretty interesting stories. Anything you can, you can share with us, um, fun story from a deployment or anything like that. So I, you know, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll go back a while. Um, Again, pre nine eleven, I was I was with, believe it or not, a, a small boat unit in the Marine Corps. It, it, it's no longer around, but it was around for for a couple of decades. And basically, it was riverine assault craft, and they were um, you know river boats. And we flew a few of these boats down to South America for um, for a training exercise in Argentina. Uh, uh, Might have been Para- I think Paraguay. We had a couple of them. So this one was Paraguay. <laughs> And um, we got a couple of uh, Air Force C-5s, biggest aircraft around, because these were big boats. And uh, we flew down there um, and, you know, did our three-week exercise, and we were just completely worn out. Our our trip back got rescheduled a couple of times, so we were kind of stuck in Paraguay a few extra days. And finally, got all the boats loaded up and fly back, and we stop in, in Puerto Rico, Vieques. We still had a base there. And uh, we were supposed to refuel, but the hur- there was hurricanes coming in, oh, wow. and the flight crew decided that we weren't going to be able to make our way back to North Carolina. So we were going to have to find lodging. Unfortunately, there was a big exercise going on in Vieques, and all the lodging was taken up except this four, you know four or five star resort. <laughs> and being it was the only thing, thing available. My myself and my Marines who'd been down on this training exercise for a few weeks and really hadn't done anything um, with normal civilization had got stuck at this like five star resort for like two or three days and just had to like you know deal with it. So. <laughs> that that sounds like proper Air Force planning to me. Actually, <laughs> I, I kind of we kind of suspected as much. I'm sure but... they knew all about that exercise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Um, so 19 years. Um, you got out and now now you're an entrepreneur, but tell us a little bit about your transition from the military um, into civilian life. How did that go? Um, the, so I, I always kind of say as, as, you know, as I look at what's gone well and hasn't gone well, I have absolutely nothing to complain about. My life's doing, you know, things are great. I've had a lot of success. But once again, there's, there's definitely lessons learned um, that have come along the way. And, you know, I've 
but I've been able to kind of pave a path for myself that's that's put me where I want to be right now um, and and given me the flexibility to kind of make some choices in the last you know six to eight months while we've all been dealing with kind of the COVID situation that I think um, have set me up for success. So right out of the, the Marine Corps, I retired five years ago, um, at, um, probably closer to to six now as I, as, as we're nearing the end of this year, yeah. um, I was, uh, I was able to find a, a role right out of the, the, the Marines was focused on trying to find, um, something that would keep me living in San Diego where I'd, I'd been able to be stationed for my last duty station and was really solely focused on just finding a job. And I was successful. I found a job. It just happened <laughs> to be the very wrong job for me. That wasn't, you know, the the right company culture, a lot of lessons learned. Um, but I did gain even from that very first experience, what it's like to do operations management in a civilian uh, role. But I just felt like a really culturally kind of misaligned with, with the organization that I joined. I didn't stay there very long. Um, but what I did realize is, you know, some of the, I, I'd worked through kind of a, a placement agency, a, a um, one of the, you know, military officer placement organizations and, you know, had been getting some encouragement along the way to just like, you know, go ahead and take the job because, you know, there's plenty of people that turn things down and then they're waiting forever and ever and they don't ever have something. It's kind of the bird in the hand view of the situation. So I, right. I took it. Um, again, don't regret it. It was one of those bad experiences that have taught me more lessons than I could ever, you know, pay for. You know, it, it was wonderful. But I, I also realized um, there's got to be a better way to align expectations between individuals and and you know the the companies that are hiring them and i've been passionate for the last few years about building something uh an organization that that focuses on just that there's a lot of support for uh transitioning military but really um you know a lot of it um is not hyper focused on certain segments and I think um, definitely some of your more seasoned, you know, military retirees, I think, can run into challenges finding um, opportunities that are, are right for them and where organizations really understand what they bring to the table. So I've kind of um, been trying to figure out how to how to, you know, go about improving that process from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So I put myself on a course within that first year to kind of grow what I know about business. And right. I've intentionally diversified my career with, you know, a bunch of different roles in a, in a bunch of different industries with different types of companies so that I would get experience and know how to basically run a business. And I did that for, for roughly five years until um, at the beginning of this year, I started the transition out to um, build and grow my own business. I was calling it winning with warriors. Actually, um, my last day at my last role, which was a uh, talent acquisition role for a construction, uh, commercial construction company was February 28th, 2020. Um, I hit the ground running and, you know, within the first week of March, I had a couple of potential clients that I was going to be, you know, signing, um, retainers with to actually do re retain search. And then as coronavirus started to unfold itself and we realized that the whole, employment landscape would change, um, I really had to do a little bit of an analysis of what was important to me, my family, and realize that if, if I was going to be bootstrapping this new venture, um, 
employ, you know, trying to be placing people and, and feeding my family off that, those placements might not, this might not be the right time to be doing that. Sure. Yeah. And then that led me on the path that I'm on now. So, so you had a total pivot. Tell me like, so you mentioned like that kind of misalignment, like for, you know, kind of senior military guys retiring and stuff. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. Are, are you saying like, you know, they're getting out of the military and they're getting that civilian job and, um, you know, obviously they come with a lot of experience, right. In, um, operations management, logistics, leadership, um, all those types of things. Are, are they, are they coming in and, in are, are you saying that corporations just aren't valuing that kind of stuff and putting them in the, the right spot or what are you seeing there? I think there's, there's communication gaps on both sides of the table. Okay. Um, I think companies a lot of times and not to any fault of anyone involved, but it's hard to fathom for somebody that hasn't done it, just the amount of experience and leadership that military folks have under their belt. Right. And, and even when they know it, it's hard to like contextualize that and say, oh, you've already done something like this. And, um, and on the other side of the table, I think there's the feeling that I've done all this stuff. I should be able to go into any organization and literally pick up with any role because I'm just that versatile and I'm just that good without realizing that there's a company full of people that have organizational knowledge, that have industry knowledge, that have, have been doing their roles and performing in a certain capacity for a long time. And even, and this, I don't necessarily think this is true, even if somebody were able to come in and pick up seamlessly, there's organizational dynamics with somebody coming in and particularly taking on a senior level role that maybe doesn't have the the street credibility to go along with it. and the reality is, is that the knowledge gap is bigger than any of us realize. Um, okay. And so I think there's a way to help both sides of the table and help the process to where, you know, you can potentially make a better long-term fit by acknowledging what, what the reality is from both perspectives. What do you see as a potential solution to that? So I think, um, so one of the one of the best jobs I've had over the last few years, I supported um, somebody. It was this was in um, one of the biotech companies up in Oceanside. Um, I was in a project management and kind of a general support role as a contractor. So I wasn't actually an employee of the company, um, but during that time, I was basically a utility player. And for a year, year and a half, I was taking on special projects within the company. I was kind of a right-hand guy for this, for this team leader. And I learned the business. I learned the culture. And, but I wasn't in a position where I was really having huge decision-making um, or, or decision-making authority. But I was able to basically get comfortable with, with what it was like to operate in a different type of environment. And a year later, I was applying for a role that I was qualified for and was was one of the top contenders for until final selection. Um, I later, as, as part of my diversification, when I, you know, I later went a different direction and went to a different company altogether uh -huh. um, to take on different work. But I think part of the the solution is creating opportunities where people have a chance to acclimatize, to contribute and to learn the business um, while they they develop themselves to a point where they can take on bigger roles, where they can fully utilize some of their other skill sets like leadership. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> and um, I never would have like just naturally kind of thought about that, that street credibility gap. I think that's a really good way to explain it, right? There is kind of that street cred. You have all these people that have been working there for a long time and know the business and they know the, the industry super well. Um, but they don't have that leadership and all those other skill sets, right? Which is the reason they haven't risen higher. Mm-hmm. And then you got someone that comes in and it's, they got that, but they don't have the, the street cred and the industry knowledge. So that's, that, that's a really interesting perspective. <clears throat> so tell us, obviously COVID hit and you had to do a pivot, right? Yes. So employment stuff, um, definitely not the hot item that it was, you know, seven or eight months ago. Mm-hmm. So um, tell us what, what did that, what direction did that take you in? So, you know, I'd been, if, if, if someone were to pick up my resume and they say, what the heck does this guy been thinking? It's all about management diversification so that I could be an entrepreneur. My resume makes no sense outside of that context, <laughs> nor do I really care that it, it does or should, because I was planning on trying to build and grow my own business. Well, the, the, the primary plan I had kind of came out from under my feet. So I looked at, well, what do I still have? And I, I was putting in applications with a lot of the big employers, um, some of them that are you know DOD focused, some of them that are not. And, um, but the, the roles that I was seeing were not super intriguing to me. And one of, there's a, there's a management coach that I, I am familiar with and, uh, kind of a friend colleague, um, by the name of Mark James. And one of the, uh, sayings he has is, you know, as, as, as you market yourself for the employment market, what's your highest and best use? I know, you know, typically a real estate kind of, um, concept, but, you know, as, as a candidate, what's your highest and best use? And I'm like, well, being a project manager in a role where I'm going to have to, I'm not going to feel like I'm a fit is, is probably not it. Um, I want to build and grow businesses. If now's not the time to build and grow my own business, maybe there's somebody that I can apply my skills, uh, for where I can help them build and grow theirs. And so I retooled my resume. Um, I'm a fan of something called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Um, it's a uh, it's 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 a management template um, put out by EOS Worldwide, and they have this concept of visionary integrator duo. And they there's a book about it called Rocket Fuel. I read this book about a year ago. I was like, wow, that's pretty powerful. And I actually think it's a great opportunity for for veterans to to you know find integrator opportunities to help support somebody that's a visionary run and grow their business. So I thought, you know what, this is really what I want to do. I'm going to retool myself and try and find that sort of opportunity. Once I got gained that level of clarity, and this was, you know, probably five, six weeks after the decision to look in a different direction, I I did retool myself and I ended up getting some um, attention pretty quickly. And although I wasn't solely focused on companies that were familiar with this EOS mindset or this tool set. Um, I did reach out to a lot of people that were consultants and, and worked in the EOS um, kind of community. Okay. And one of them ended up connected me to the guy, uh, to Tim Hogan, who's the uh, CEO and founder of Conveyor, where I joined. And we have no background in commercial photography or advertising, but entrepreneurially, we're very aligned. Um, and so I positioned myself as the integrator, um, took on a role as the integrator, somebody to help him as the visionary grow his business. So he's focused kind of future and up and out, and I'm focused on, on internal and 
running the P&L and, you know, the, the management leadership and accountabilities um, that, that will help the business grow. And we connected in May. Um, he had shut down. Um, the business, the studio itself is up in L.A. Um, I go up there about once a week, but um, we ha- he, he had shut down in, in uh, March. Um, we connected in May, got thing, the ball rolling. We reopened the studio at the end of June. Okay. Um, we've hired, uh, six, uh, I think six, seven full-time employees to include more creative staff and sales. And, um, and, and we've implemented this, uh, entrepreneurial operating system tool set, which is, you know, a cadence for meetings and planning and, and setting priorities and achieving your priorities. And the first, you know, kind of quarterly chunk we took out, you know, bite we took out of the apple, we attained or were on track with every objective we set for ourselves. That's great. Um, and, and so then about a month ago, month and a half ago, we did our second quarterly uh, session and we're, we're, we're plugging right along on those. And um, right now, you know, in the midst of all the craziness that's going on, you know, we feel very fortunate to, to, as a business be alive, right. To, totally. to be, to, I mean, and, and to be trying to, um, you know, have the opportunity to find our, our market and grow. We are sponsoring a big event that's coming up and we're anticipating that's going to have some, some, hopefully some positive bump. And, you know, we're just focused on, on growing this business, um, over the next, uh, over the next few years. I mean, we think that there's a lot of opportunity. We've put together just this really amazing team that is talented and, and passionate and, you know the same things that I enjoyed about leading Marines and building teams. I'm I'm seeing, you know, it's it, you get the right people that really are passionate about what they do, and if you know how to foster good teamwork, the magic can happen. Whether you're in the Marines or you're in a photography, uh, you know, photography and advertising. I mean, it's it, it's possible wherever you go. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that advice you got from the coach um, <clears throat> of the highest and best use thing. I mean, it's that's absolutely like paramount for team dynamics. Right. And, and we talk about it a lot in, in my business, in the mortgage business. And, you know, I have a a coach that coaches me as well. And that highest and best use thing is, is always a constant, right. And it's always that, that refining piece that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're creating processes around and allocating resources and people and stuff to um, just so you're operationally just performing at the, at the highest level that you can in each respective spot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, that's really, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, um, so I got to ask, you know, in, in all your years, um, in the Marine Corps and PCSing and, and making the moves and stuff, um, did you use your VA loan to buy any houses along the way? Um, I, so I've actually, uh, done it twice. The very, the very first, I I've owned two houses and used VA loan, tw- uh, both times. The first time, um, was kind of a, a rush decision and, and didn't get as much out of that home ownership experience as I wished just because there was a, a kind of a quick turn PCS much sooner than expected. Oh yeah. So we didn't get back in the market again until the end of my career. And, uh, when I retired, um, you know, it's no secret. San Diego is a high cost of living, uh, sure. location. We decided to view my retirement um, income basically as a continuation of our, you know, housing allowance. So, um, so we, we decided to, to jump into the market and yes, we did use a VA loan. Um, 
I, I look at it as one of the best decisions we could have made to get into the market. So we bought in 2015. Oh, um, yeah. One of the things, obviously, with the, the market in San Diego being as high priced as it is, I wasn't sure um, going into the process, the house we bought was actually above what I knew to be the VA lending cap. And I didn't know what that meant or how that worked. And I realized, because I thought, well, it's not even a possibility because of this lending cap and the house is just out over that. We can't use it. And then I, through going through the process, I found out, okay, it it is possible. It just affects your down payment. And, 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 but being able to, you know, connect the dots and, and, and see that all come together was great. Just getting into the house. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're super happy, but now five years down the line, um, again, anybody that's watched, you know, the housing market in San Diego, you know, can, you just know I was in five years ago, you know, I'm, it's been, it's been a good five years. It's been a good ride. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing all right. Um, well, that's, that's really good to hear. Um, and I think, you know, more and more as, as we talk about like the, the military and experiences Mm -hmm. and education and stuff, um, the one piece that, you know, the military and not to their own, not to their fault, but the one Mm -hmm. thing that the military doesn't learn much about are their benefits. Exactly. While you're in, you know, right. you usually hear about it from like someone that you work with in the shop or, you know, someone's dad mm-hmm. or after you get out, like you start getting hit with all this information. Um, but you have, you know, like in your case, you know, 19, 20 years in where you could have been taking advantage of all that stuff. And <clears throat> just so you know, the VA removed that cap. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, it happened actually the beginning of 2020. And um, it was from a law that was put in action. Actually, it's pretty Pretty cool. I was the, the Navy Blue Water Act that um, mm. President Trump signed last summer. It went into effect in January, um, and the intention for it was to actually to provide medical benefits mm. for the, the Korea War and the Vietnam War era veterans. Um, a lot of them suffered like chemical agent related things, mm-hmm. and um, they weren't covered under the VA's healthcare. Really, and so they were all you know hacking it on their own. And he saw an obvious need for that and created the bill. And as part of that, I won't go into all the details, but part of that, um, in order to help kind of cover the costs of the medical care and all that stuff, they're, they're leveraging the, the VA loan in a way to do that. And so one of the things they did was create an incentive and they removed the cap. So now it's zero down up to what you qualify for. Doesn't oh, that's matter. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it's pretty neat. Hear. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's, uh, what's next for you with, with the company? I know you've got um, quarterly goals and visions. Do you guys have, um, any kind of, you know, pie in the sky goals that you're trying to shoot for? Um, we definitely, definitely. So I, uh, Tim, uh, Hogan, who's our founder, he's, he's got his vision on kind of how the future of content creation is going to come together. Um, we're trying to, uh, you know, move forward with putting together kind of a, a, a community, um, well beyond our local borders, you know, I think, uh, if anything, you know, learning from the, the interconnectedness that COVID has, has shown us all that is possible and, um, and, and maybe tying into a little bit of the membership economy to help other potential, um, you know, consumers of, of, you know, visual assets, you know, photography, um, for, for marketing purposes, as well as providers be able to connect. Um, I think that there's a lot of times, um, you know, folks that are have a product um, don't necessarily, as particularly early in their journey, don't necessarily know to, where to go to get that. 
And, you know, by providing that sort of a platform, it can potentially open up options that wouldn't be available. You know, right now, our company is probably not focused on, you know, a client that would just be entering the market with a single product. But there are people out there that would if we can help provide that that connecting point. Yeah. Um, And beyond that, we see... um, we're we're just continuing to um try and get our name out there and and you know gr- we're really focusing on a branding push um in in preparation for this we're we're sponsoring the Impact 20 um conference for the Internet Marketing Association in a couple of weeks. Oh cool. And prior to that we're we're getting a an updated website out which going to I think tie in a little bit closer to our our uh you know core focus which is you know crafting powerful images that scale exceptional brands. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to continue working with, with more brands, probably take on some more space and, and, and maybe some more folks to, to help create that, uh, create those powerful images. So. Yeah, no, I mean, everything is so visual now we're always, you know, glued to our phones, right. And, and everything on there is, it's all visual, right. All the social media platforms and, I mean, now it's all the, the, the Zoom meetings and things like that. Um, there's definitely a need for it. Absolutely. Um, so what is, um, you know, the, the name of our show, Armed and Ready, what does that mean to you in, in regards to, you know, kind of what you're doing now and, and, and your experience in life? Well, you know, I, to, to take it from what I'm doing now and maybe, you know, backtrack it all to all the way to, you know, prior to transition, I'm doing now. I'm 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 really living and and working in what I consider to be my highest and best use, like we just talked about. And it's taken me five years um, to get there because I was building this kind of I was diversity of skill sets. I was not ready, or nor did I have the experience to provide the sort of leadership and business oversight that I'm seeing right now. So I looked at it, um, although at the time. Armed and ready, I thought meant that I needed to, you know, find a find a job and be able to keep, you know, bringing in a paycheck. I realized that it was about putting a path in in place that would get me to my destination. I still think there may be an opportunity in the future for me to, you know, kind of build and grow my own company. But right now, um, I, I I'm I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and that is building and growing a a, a great company. So I would. The, the lesson that I would encourage people that are looking toward transition to think about is don't focus on that first job. Focus on the end state. Where do you want to be? And a lot of people are wondering, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to know exactly what you want to do, but try to get a vision of what your hope, you hope your life is going to look like five years down the line. Maybe from a uh, quality of life standpoint, you know, the time you spend working versus um, enjoying time with your family or, or doing fun things. And so I think it's important that people understand what they want to have for a quality of life, how much time they're going to spend with their family, um, doing things that, that they enjoy doing. And those things can kind of paint a picture that then can give you an end state. And then you back plan from that, right? If, it's, if, if, if there's an income level you hope to attain, Maybe you don't force yourself into a position where you're trying to get that income level right away because you want to give yourself the opportunity to learn and grow in different roles. And that was the approach I took. And I found it was it it has more than, you know, kind of paid off. So I would just encourage people to, you know, treat it like a mission, treat it like a project, 
project management themselves to the end state over a period of time. And that makes the transition a little bit less um, crazy and scary. And it's, it's, I kind of equate it like, you know, we've all known of these schools in the military that, you know, you hear they're the toughest schools around. They have like high attrition rates and people are going to drop out. And, you know, there's people that, you know, you, if you're, if you get selected, you feel honored, but at the same time, you're a little bit nervous all the way up till the time it happens. And, um, you can go to those schools super prepared because you, you've physically and mentally prepare yourself. It's going to be tough. Transition is tough, just like schools are tough. You can, you should be mentally and physically prepared, but you shouldn't be surprised that it's it's not going to be a cakewalk. But if you're if if you place the end, um, if you place the finish line a lot further than that first job, I think it helps you keep everything in perspective along the way. And Brian, I want to just thank you so much for being on the show today. I certainly got a lot from what you talked about. And um, for our listeners out there, I think that the book that you mentioned, Rocket Fuel, is that? Rocket Fuel, yes. Yeah, um, I think that's that's a home run for people that they should definitely be reading when they transition. So um, thank you so much for sharing that um, and, and your story today. Um, if anybody would like to get some more information on anything we talked about today or on VA loans, you can reach out to Jason Wood at valoanguy.us.